Welcome to Bridal Love Ministries podcast with Poppy Hope Flish teaching on Song of Songs. I'm so glad we're all together again tonight on the evening of Pesach, Passover. Uh, we wondered how many people would be tuning in, so we are quite happy that we are all together. Picture yourself sitting at the Passover table, speaking and talking and rejoicing about our Lord Jesus, praising Him for His precious blood. Last week we did chapter 1, where He came to her as the shepherd of Psalm 23. Tonight He will come to you, the shepherd girl, as the gazelle. And I want to start tonight by reading the scripture from Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2. Because this is what God's greeting, Jesus' greeting to us is tonight. He's telling you, arise from the depression and the prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new life. Shine. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and dense darkness all peoples. But the Lord shall arise upon you, O Jerusalem. Put your own name in there. The Lord shall arise upon you, and his glory shall be seen on you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of of your rising. This is what is on his heart for you when he comes to her as the gazelle. Let us listen to the text. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with cakes of raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken my love until it pleases. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. O oh, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. Catch us the foxes, 
the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feeds his flock among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of Betha. He comes to her as the gazelle, and he's teaching her to say everything about herself that he said about himself. We know that Jesus is the Rose of Sharon, and he is the Lily of the Valleys. But the Rose of Sharon is not a pretty rose. It's just like a plant that you don't recognize it until it flowers. And that was the same with Jesus. They didn't recognize him until afterwards. They would walk right past him and ask, Who is he? Where is he? And so it is with this beloved shepherd girl. People don't recognize you. You feel you're like invisible. But then the bridegroom comes and he starts showering you with his love. So you start changing inside and outside. If you can believe him when he tells you you are lovely and lovable, then you can believe it when others tell you. You have to receive it from him first before you can receive love or compliments or anything else from a person. And she's learning that. That's why she's saying, I am the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valleys. He's teaching her to see herself as he sees her and to see him as he truly is. She starts to identify with him and she takes a hold of her inheritance in Christ, which we did last week, Ephesians 1.18. Her eyes are beginning to be flooded with light. She's beginning to know and understand how great her hope and her calling is. She has not yet realized that she is also his inheritance and that's what he wants her to know. He is so glad that she's beginning to love him. And he says it's good that she knows she loves him. And that he belongs to her, that he is hers. But he wants her to understand that she is his. He wants you to understand, you are mine. The lily speaks of being stripped. It is very fragile. It grows in the valleys, in the valleys where there's a lot of mud and water. It speaks of suffering and humiliation. That's where the lilies grow and shines their brightest white. What he's actually saying to her is, in the mud of your life, the muddy places, that's where I will grow my lily. He's telling her, I'm the God of the mountains, but I'm also the God of the valleys. There's times when the bridegroom and his beloved dance on the mountain tops, but other times he will descend with you to the valley of testing and pain and suffering. On the mountains he behaves like a gazelle and he wants you to be like in the same way, to have hind's feet, but in the valley you are the little lily. And that's why he's saying to her in verse 2, like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. The daughters of Jerusalem, you will remember, are her friends. 
they all worked in the vineyard together. They got burnt in the vineyard working for somebody else's vineyard, a church or a ministry's vineyard. And then he came by and he took her away. And he took her into the king's chamber where he started pouring love and new wine into her. So she was actually also a thorn bush. bush. The thorn bushes we develop to hide ourselves from hurt and rejection. It becomes our defensive thorn wall. And now she's changing because under his love, she is changing into this lily. And she's beginning to stand out among the daughters. And she is returning his compliments in verse 3, telling him, And like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. Trees is always a symbol for people. So she's saying, You are standing out among the people like an apple tree. And then she says, I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. You see, if Jesus is the apple tree and you eat his apples, it means you eat his words. And she's learning to hide in his shelter, like we know in Psalm 91 verse 1, who says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall be, remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty. But take note, she has to sit down. You can't just run, grab an apple and go. And then if the apples is his words, take time after the session and go and ask Holy Spirit, what was the first apple you ever received from the Lord? When was the first time he spoke to you and you knew it was him? That was your first little apple and it was sweet to your taste. Proverbs 25.11 says, A word fitly spoken and in due season is like apples of gold in settings of silver. That is how Jesus is. He always has the right word for the right season. And remember, he says, Everything I do and am, you will do and be. So he wants your speech to change, that you also have a word fitly spoken in due season. It will be like apples of gold in settings of silver. In Hosea 14 verse 8 we read, Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have answered him and will regard and watch over him. I am like a green fir or a cypress tree. With me is the fruit found which is to nourish you. Ephraim symbolizes Israel. It can be you, put your name in there. Now that you are falling in love with the bridegroom, you are to say, What have I any more to do with idols? I don't want them in my life anymore. And Jesus says, And I will answer you. I will regard you and I will watch over you. Remember, I am like a green fir or cypress tree. I died for you. Last week he told her, Our bed is green and the rafters are of wood and the Lattice is cypress trees, which symbolizes death. And tonight, we remember that he died for us on the cross. That's why he can watch over you and be with you. And then he tells you, with me is the fruit found. Eat my apples. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed, happy, and fortunate, and to be envied is he the man who trusts and takes refuge in him. You see, Jesus is the tree of life. We have to eat his words. How do you taste the goodness of God? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you do that? There's only one way, by experience. You see, beloved, you must know and experience for yourself that you are thoroughly loved and enjoyed by Abba Father because that is what enables you to enjoy the Father, the Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, each one as they are, the fullness of the Trinity. And this joy that increasingly starts to bubble up within you is very important for your spiritual growth. At times it's very intense. And this manifestation of his presence does not necessarily happen every time when you sit down with Jesus for intimacy. Sometimes you pray and you read your word, but you do not experience the manifest presence. That's when he teaches you to walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. And this when that sometimes he visits us with a manifestation and sometimes he just speaks to you through his word, brings a healthy balance between our walk with God, our faith in him, and the experiences we have with him. We've got to have both. In verse 4, she says, He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. The Hebrew for banqueting hall is a wine house. A place of provision, refreshment, and rest. Remember, he himself carried her over the threshold like a gentleman bridegroom because he saw she was too unsure to enter by herself. Now he's got her in the chamber, and here he guards her jealously. And he will bring her out of the chamber when he thinks it is time. Banner in Hebrew means he looked upon me with love. Jesus is waving his flag, his banner over you. He waves this banner or flag over every soul that belongs to him. And his plan is to enlist each one, yes you too, to enlist you in his army. And he will draw you, he did draw you, he draws every outcast with his cords of love and then starts waving his banner of love over you. He is so in love with you. Believe that tonight. She does. She eats his words. She listens to him. Because in verse 5 she says, Sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples. For I am lovesick. Cakes of raisins. The cake symbolizes his body because it's bread. It's wheat. That's his body broken for us. So I told you in Song of Songs you will have the scarlet thread of Jesus' blood all over the pages. And we tonight took communion as well. We ate the cakes of raisins. We ate the body which was broken for us. And we drank the wine. That's the raisins, his blood. And we are studying Song of Songs, which is his words, his apples. We are eating it. And I pray that by now, chapter 2, you are really, like the shepherd girl, starting to fall in love with him. When she says, I'm lovesick, she is weak with lovesickness. 
This is a wonderful manifestation of the presence of the Spirit of God. Verse 6, she says, And his left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. He is holding her like a mother holds a baby against her chest, because his other name is El Shaddai, the full-breasted one. His left hand always works in secret. That's the one that you do not know what he is keeping away from you, what he is keeping you from that can hurt you, all those things that we don't even know about. And it's a good verse to memorize and to quote it to the enemy when he wants to bring fear to you. Then you tell him, in Jesus' name, I am in my Jesus' arms and his left hand works for me in secret. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. The right hand is the mighty right hand of God, which he often allows us to see when we just missed an accident or almost a terrible fall or almost drowned. That's when his right hand works for you. We need to know of both his arms. There's a scripture where he says in Isaiah 66, 11, where you will see the motherly side of Father God that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breasts, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance and the brightness of her glory. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. Then you will be nursed, you will be carried on her hip and trotted lovingly, bounced up and down on her God's maternal knees. When he's holding you like this in the king's chamber, he's nursing you. You are eating his apples, his words. You are drinking milk from his breasts. And remember, he says, everything I am, I want you to be. So he wants her to grow into the same maturity that her breasts will be filled with milk, that she will feed others. That's why he says, I will extend peace to you like a river. And because you carry the peace of the Lord with you, people will come to you. The glory of the nations will come like an overflowing stream because of his manifest presence which you are carrying and which coming out in so many ways through your eyes, eyes of love, through your words, words of comfort, through a touch, your body, just allowing people to taste the presence of Jesus. That's what he wants you to do. In Psalm 63 verse 8 we read, My whole being follows hard after you and clings closely to you. Your right hand upholds me. She knows about his right hand. And Hebrews 13:5, he comes with his promise. Let your character and moral disposition be free from love of money, including greed, lust, and craving for earthly possessions. Be satisfied with your present circumstances. Do you hear that? Being locked in, God gave us extra time. He says, be satisfied with this present circumstances and with what you have. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up. 
nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. That is how tightly he holds you when you are with him in your room of intimacy, and he assures you, I will not. When the Lord repeats something three times, he really is very serious. He means it. And in Hebrew 13, 6, we read, So take comfort and be encouraged and confident and boldly say, The Lord is my helper. Last week we had to say confidently, boldly, The Lord is my shepherd. Tonight we say He is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified because of the coronavirus. What can man or a virus do to me? Hebrews 13, 6. Go and repeat it aloud so you can hear it, the enemy can hear it, and the Lord loves to hear your voice. He says that. When he is holding her like this, her friends, the daughters of Jerusalem, they all worked in the vineyard together. Then suddenly she disappeared. They starting to look for her. They want her to come back and work with them in the vineyard. And he knows they are looking for her. That's why in verse 7, he warns them, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken my love until it pleases me. Take your pen or pencil and write in me next to pleases. That is the way this verse used to be in the old King James. And if you look at the dialogue, it's easy to see what he means. Until he pleases me. Then when they rewrote the Bible and they made the new King James, they took the me away. And the context of that verse changed. And then that verse is used, that actually not the verse, just the last sentence is used to do a whole teaching on um, sexual purity and do not awake love until it pleases. Actually what it says, do not awake love until it pleases love. What utter nonsense. Of course you should not have sex before marriage. It just creates a lot of baggage which you will have to deal with afterwards. But that scripture, that line has nothing to do with sex before marriage. It's the bridegroom speaking that the daughters should not awake his beloved, which he's holding in his arms, and he's even calling the gazelles and the does as witnesses. They scare easily and run away at the slightest movement. He is afraid if the daughters come and try to take her back to the vineyard where they think she belongs, she will go with them, and then he has to go through all the trouble again to get her into a place of intimacy. You see that? moment you enter that room and you just sit with the Lord is when he keeps you there and it's actually the sleep of intimacy. It's a winter season. That brings us to the four seasons that you will always have in your spiritual walk with Jesus. It's not from point A to point B. It goes in a circle. 
I'll speak on that again later on. Now he tells her, I will awake her when I know it's time. And he knows it's soon. It is in this chapter. He started with Arise, shine. He is awaking her. But he will do it slowly and gently, as he always does. You know, some believers never experience any intimacy with Abba. They spend their lives doing works, working in others' vineyards, working in the church vineyard, working in somebody else's ministry vineyard. And then they try to prove their love to him. That happens easily when you come from a background where you never felt worthy, where you always felt you had to prove yourself to receive love and or attention. I came from such a background. Then I found the Lord and I fell in love with him. But because I always had to perform to get attention and love, I did the same. I just carried it on with my relationship with Jesus. I would perform, thinking the more I do for him, the more I show my love to him, and the more he will love me. And when you are trapped in that, it's very hard to get out. Because in Song of Songs, you learn, I must nothing. I must just love the Lord. Others, other believers eventually get a breakthrough with intimacy. And when they taste his words and his apples, it is so wonderful, they get stuck there. They are like Peter and uh, when they were on the Mount of uh, Transfiguration, when Peter said, Oh Lord, can't we just build three huts here and we just stay here, stay here forever? That's what they want to do. But then he says, No, you can't stay here forever. We will have times of intimacy, winter, when you are in the sleep of intimacy. But then after winter starts spring. After spring comes summer. After summer comes autumn. And then autumn is the sign that winter is nearing again. He wants her to understand that and to understand that we are not always everybody in the same season at the same time. The Father has a high calling for you. He desires that you will find it. We've spoken it last week as well in Ephesians 4, 1, where it says, Walk worthy of the calling that he has for you. This calling is none other than a marriage covenant with a bridegroom. So many times I get, especially young people, they are on fire for the Lord. They love him, but they are so stuck on what is my calling, my calling. Must I do this or must I do that? It's actually growing into performance. Your calling, beloved, is to love the bridegroom, to enter into a marriage covenant with him. That's your calling. And from that, works will flow. The bridegroom gives these warnings not to wake his bride. Why? Because what often happens is the church errs in recruiting young believers prematurely for too many works of service, works that were not necessarily motivated or inspired by the Holy Spirit. The result the results are always the same. The believer starts to depend on works to, to sustain a loving, intimate relationship with Jesus. And they even sometimes confuse the one for the other. Yet, 
There's always the feeling that there's something missing. And the whole process has to start again. If the church wakes the bride too soon, Jesus will simply repeat the season where you will have to withdraw, go back into the chamber and return to your first love. In other words, to return to your first love is not always that you backslide it. Often it's just you got involved with works, works, works and he wants you in the inner chamber. He wants you back in winter, the death of everything, all the good works, so that the ground of your heart can be prepared again for new seeds, a new season, maybe a new baby a new birth and when the time is ready he will tell you now spring is appearing that's when there's new seeds fresh encounters truth all those things are sown in your heart and then after that you are maturing you are bearing fruit and he is so proud of you that's halfway through song of songs chapter four and he comes to you as the gardener and then he tells her, but see, open your eyes and see, autumn is coming. Autumn is when the harvest is gathered and a level of maturity is attained where the harvest is gathered. But it will be followed by winter again. So please, tonight let us understand that we must respect each other's season. In verse 8, she says, oh, I heard him. It's the voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains and skipping upon the hills. See, she's spent time with him in intimacy, so now she recognizes his voice. In John 10.3 we read, The watchman opens the door for this man, and the sheep listen to his voice and heed it. And he calls his own sheep by name and brings and leads them out. The sheep listen to his voice often people would say I don't know the voice of God God doesn't speak to me then ask the person did you give your heart to the Lord yes are you a child of God yes are you the sheep of the shepherd usually they reply yes to all three well then John 10 3 says my sheep listen to my voice and they heed it so they do hear the voice. Don't let the enemy lie to you and worse, don't agree with him. You just have to learn how to recognize it. John 10, 4, And when he has brought his own sheep outside, he walks on before them and the sheep follow him. Why do you follow him? Because they know his voice. She too, after the times of intimacy, she now knows his voice. If you get back into works again and you do not set time apart for intimacy, it gets harder and harder to recognize his voice again. It's not he that stopped talking to you. It's you that stopped listening and interpreting what he is saying to you. The other fault she makes is she thinks he's still with her in the king's chamber but he has left the chamber he is standing on the outside calling her talking to her 
Because now she's got to grow into spiritual maturity. He's not going to pick her up and carry her out again. He waits for her to come. Verse 9, she says, My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows. He's gazing through the lattice. She recognizes somehow he is in the, in the room behind our wall, but she also sees he's looking at her through the window, gazing through the lattice. So she realizes he's on the outside. And he is still like a gazelle. The gazelle is the one with the hind's feet. In Habakkuk, we read 3.19, The Lord God is my strength and my personal bravery and my invincible army. He makes my feet like hind's feet and will make me to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. You see, he comes on hind's feet. He wants her to go with him. In chapter 1, he said in Psalm 2, Kiss the sun. Psalm 2, I think it was, verse 12. And in verse 8, he says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations. And speaking of the error of the church, they would take their young believer, and they would only help him to focus on verse 8. Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations. And they did not see verse 12 of kissing the sun. So they believe, I've got to go to the nations for the Lord. And they don't know how to kiss the sun. He's teaching you here in Song of Songs, first kiss me, then I'll tell you when we are going to the nations. I'm going to the nations, and I only want you to come with me. And on the other side, he is teaching her, and your mountains and hills of problems, I will teach you to dance on them, to skip on them, so that you will understand I overcame every hill and every mountain that looks so big and huge of a problem to you. We see that in Philippians 2.6. And it's good to look at that scripture tonight because it's so in line with what Jesus paid for us on the cross. Philippians 2.6. Although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attribute which make God God, he, Jesus, did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. No. But he stripped himself of all his privileges and the rightful dignity, and he assumed the, the disguise of a servant, of a slave, in that he became like men and he was born a human being. And after he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further. He carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore, because he stooped so low, God has highly exalted him and has freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee shall and must bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue must confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is a truth that you must write on your heart. Nothing can change this. And then let's look at Colossians 2 verse 15. And God disarmed the principalities and the powers that were ranged against us. And he made a bold display and a public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in it, the cross. Yes, Micah 2.13 tells us Jesus is the breaker, the Messiah. He will go before you. He will break through. He will pass in through the gate and go out through it. That's what he's telling you. I made a way. I am the breaker. You will break through. You will pass in through the gate and you'll go out through it. And I, your king, will pass on before you. It's the same story. The shepherd opens the gate and walks before the sheep. And the sheep just follows the shepherd because she knows his name. That's your walk with God. That's your intimacy with God. He's waiting for her. He was looking at her. He's now calling her. And he says, come my beloved. He says in verse 10, he spoke and he said to me, rise up. Again, he started with rise up. My love, my fair one, and come away. Come away with me. But the bride is not yet willing to leave her comfort zone. She knows he wants to take her to a place with heights and danger. She knows this is risks she has to take, risks of faith, and also something to do with spiritual warfare, and she doesn't want anything to do with that. Do you feel like that? Trust the bridegroom. He understands your hesitation. He will affirm his love for you by calling you again, my love, my fair one. He enjoys you even when you are afraid. He enjoys you as you grow in strength. Some grow faster than other, but he enjoys you both. In verses 11, 12, and 13, he really speaks to her. He says, look, for lo, winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth a green fix, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Oh, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. He not only speaks to her now, he pleads. He says, the time in the king's chamber is over. It is springtime. It's time for joy and praise and a new adventure. The turtle dove is heard. Verse 13, when he points her to the fig tree, he points her to Israel. The fig tree is the national symbol of Israel. Because when the leaves appear, the little green figs appear as well. And that's how it was. When Israel was uh, reborn as a nation, her national rebirth happened in 1948. And when it started, Everything went very quickly. That was a sign to say the king is on his way. Now we're on 2020. He must be right at the door. Come, my love, 
discern the season and come with me. Now he pleads in verse 14, O my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. The more he pleads, the deeper she goes into the cleft of the rock. Who is the rock cleft for us? Jesus. So she hides in him and he knows that. But he wants her to come out. Because this hiding is a hiding of fear. I just want to stay close to Jesus. I just want to cling to him. And that's where I'll stay. And he says, but, but what about the high calling I have for you? You must walk worthy of that calling. And now he comes to her and he says, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. He's asking you tonight, do you want to see my face? And we say, yes, Lord, just like Moses did. And he says, do you want to hear my voice? And we say, yes, Lord, I'd love to hear your voice. He says, well, I feel exactly the same about you. I even more want to see your face. I even more want to hear your voice. He calls her my dove. The dove represents purity, innocence, tenderness, and the character of the Holy Spirit. He desires for Holy Spirit to fall on her, to fall on you. But for that to happen, the old man, the old woman must die. The old person must die with Christ first. Tonight, let it be your death as well, so that you can be resurrected with Christ, as we do in the sign of the water baptism, where you die with Christ and you rise to a new life, resurrected in Him, as seen in Romans 6. Moses, in Exodus 33, asked the Lord the same thing, asked to see God's face. And God said, you cannot see me and live. But in verse 19, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, before you. I will cover you as I pass before you. So Moses could only see God's back. But now, in the New Testament, he says to his bride, I want you to see my face. He says, I want to lift your head. She's still so ashamed of herself. She still feels so unworthy. She keeps her head down. And he comes and he lifts her chin in Psalm 3, verse 3, and he says, I am your glory and the lifter of your head. I want you to come just as you are right now. I want you to come with boldness to my throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 His invitation is to you tonight. Yes, to you there now listening. Yes, you hiding alone in your room. Come. He's calling you. Come. I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. I enjoy your worship intensely. He's telling you, listener, I miss you when you stay away. 
I really miss you and I miss your presence before me. I miss your prayers and your petitions. Come, ask of me and do not be afraid, my dove. Just come to me. Come now. Just as you are, my love, just come. But she does not have the courage. In verse 15, she answers. She's going to say thank you, but no thank you. But she does it in very nice words. She says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for I vines have tender grapes. She's telling him, there's so much I still see that's wrong in me. All those little foxes of weaknesses, doubt, pride, fear, unbelief, passivity. I must first deal with all of that. And, and my vineyard is very tender. The grapes are still very small and green. I'm not ready to go with you. Oh, how I wish when the young believers on fire for Jesus know the book Song of Songs and the church or the ministry wants to give them lots of work to do, that they will answer, my vineyard is still too young, green, not ready. Only the bridegroom knows when you are ready, and he will tell you, don't let people pressure you. Now she wants to comfort herself and him. So she says in verse 16, Well, I know this. My beloved is mine, and I am his, and he feeds his flock among the lilies. She's actually telling him, Well, I'm satisfied with the knowledge that I'm yours and you are mine. That's so awesome. That's so big. I just want to sit and meditate on that for the next three years. And I asked you, where do you feed your flock in chapter 1? Well, I now know the answer to that as well. You taught me you feed your flock among the lilies. The lilies symbolizes purity. I must feed on lilies, on purity, on whatever is nice, whatever is good, on whatever is healthsome. As Paul said, do those things. Think about those things. I'm going to just do that until I think I'm ready. She genuinely loves and trusts him now, but his dream is just too big for her. So that means she's still absorbed with herself and her own issues and her own desires. But she knows for certain I'm his and he's mine, and that's good. But she wants to remain with the flock because they are believers on the same level as she, and she feels safe with them. Don't we do that also? He will never leave you on the level where you are comfortable. He will move you. When she refuses, she chooses her words carefully. Verse 17. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of Petar. She says, I'm going to stay here in the cleft of the rock until the final daybreak and there's no more shadows around me. Well, that means she's going to wait until the day when Jesus openly returns. She's going to miss the rapture because then he comes secretly that it will not be a daybreak. 
only when he returns after the seven years it will be daybreak from the east to the west the day will break you can't wait that long there's some things he wants you to do with him he wants to do it and he just wants your companionship but she says turn my beloved but please still come and visit me although I cannot go with you with this big dream you have and places you wanted to take me but come and visit me sometimes like the gazelle joyful joy, uh, leaping over the hills skipping on the mountains or other times come to me as the young stag in your kingship upon the mountains of betar but she does not know the word betar means mountains of separation You see when you say no to him he does not remove the holy spirit from you but he removes his manifest presence The day has not dawned for me it's still dark there's shadows in my life I'm not ready for this It's a lot of excuses we know them we all use them but he will not force himself on her we've learned He is too much of a gentleman. When she declines his invitation, she still calls him my beloved. She admires him, she respects him, but she does not trust him enough to follow him yet. Does that sound familiar? And she knows the name of the mountain ray is Petar. She knows these dangerous places there, scary heights and places of spiritual warfare. and the scarer and what's so wonderful the bridegroom does not lashes out at her he does not judge her he just says nothing he becomes quiet have you experienced that when he just doesn't answer you he turns around and disappears into the mountains He goes and hide himself so that she will start longing for him and seeking after him again. He will not leave her alone. He loves her too much not to allow her to remain weak in the plans and dreams the father has for her. So she remains the beautiful mature bride who wants to do and enjoy everything with him. He sure of it although there's no sign of it in her reactions but he is so sure of it because he knows he paid the price for that so he will never give up on you or lose hope remember he will not will not will not ever give up on you or lose hope in you he paid the price at calvary that you will become his beautiful spotless mature bride therefore he will continue loving you and affirming you until you become willing to let him bring you out of your darkness sometimes that darkness that hiding in the cliff of the rock in the side of jesus is a way of self protection he understands that he does not judge you but he's is like whispering you're missing out my love i want to take you out of the rock now into my marvelous light 
because remember I am the light the light of the world so when he goes to the mountains of separation he goes into the wilderness where he was tested and remember everything that happened to him will happen to you if he went into the wilderness to be tested you will also go there but he will not drag you there he will, he will woo you there the same way he wooed you into the king's chamber amen let's pray dear jesus our heavenly bridegroom you have overwhelmed us tonight sometimes the place of intimacy the king's chamber is also the rock cleft for us and we hide in the cleft of the rock and sometimes you want us to move from there so we all understand tonight that you gave us extra time in the king's chamber by the fact that the lockdown has to continue for two more weeks and we praise you for that lord and we trust you for all the earthly things work jobs money provision all the things that we are so scared about the country and the econ economy that will fall and 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 the world is almost falling crumbling to pieces and we sitting in the king's chamber doing song of songs lord it sounds absurd but every chapter it makes more and more sense for you said do not worry about what you will eat and what you will drink and what you will wear the father knows all these things and you said if he clothed the lily of the field how much more will he clothe you my bride and we read in ezekiel 16 how you clothed us in the wedding dress when we were not worthy of it at all but you made it worthy so tonight we want to look at our bridegroom king who's going to get ceremony who's sweating blood who said father forgive them for they know not what they do the river of life crying out i am thirsty when you said to john there's your mother and to mary your mother there is your son up till the last moment you cared you said to the robber on the cross tonight you will be with me in paradise a real last minute salvation but you saw his heart Lord we try to memorize and picture the 6 hours that you hang there and, and you were wounded for our transgressions and you were bruised for our iniquities and you bore all our sorrows 
and by your stripes we are healed, spirit, soul, and body. We take all that that you that you've given us through your suffering on the cross. We take physical healing tonight, Lord, as we take communion. We take healing in our souls of all the wounds, for your name is the ointment poured out. You challenge us and you ask us, is there no balsam of Gilead? And we say, yes, there is. The balsam of Gilead is the name of Jesus. It's as ointment poured forth. You stir our slumbering spirits to awake, to arise, to know we must shine for our light has come. And great God, darkness is covering the earth. We see it all around us. But Christ died for us and God is still on the throne. Why should we fear? Lord, we want to eat your words and your apples and rejoice. Because in you we have the victory. When you cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished. There's nothing more to be done. You triumphed over the enemy. You made a spectacle of him when you triumphed over him at the cross. Your blood was shed for every moment of our lives. The blood is available for every moment of our lives. It's never lost its power. We thank you again tonight and we remember what you did for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's do the statements of the blood on the Passover evening. The blood of Jesus has redeemed me from the hand of Satan. The blood of Jesus has redeemed me from every curse. In Christ Jesus, I'm free from every curse and I'm blessed with all blessings. I shall be blessed in my place and my affairs shall be blessed. I shall be blessed at my work and the fruits of my labor shall be blessed. I shall be blessed when I come in and I shall be blessed when I go out. The Lord will cause my enemies who rise up against me to be defeated before my face. They will come at me from one direction, but will flee from me in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on my bonds and on everything I put my hand to. And the Lord, my God, will bless me in the land he is giving me. The Lord will establish me as his holy people. Then all the people on earth will see that I am called by the name of the Lord and they will fear me. The Lord will grant me abundant prosperity. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on my land in season, and to bless all the works of my hands. So I will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make me the head, not the tail, 
and I will always be at the top, never at the bottom. The blood of Jesus has sealed an eternal covenant for me. The blood of Jesus has reconciled me to and granted me peace with God the Father, all people and all creation. The blood of Jesus has granted me forgiveness of all my sins. The blood of Jesus, the Son of God, cleanses me from all sin. The blood of Jesus justifies me from all condemnation, so all the accusations of the devil against me are nullified. He makes me righteous as though I have never sinned. The blood of Jesus sanctifies me and consecrates me, so I become, belonging to my Lord, dedicated to him and set apart for his ministry. The blood of Jesus cleanses my conscience from acts that lead to death, so that I may serve the living God. The blood of Jesus makes me enter the most holy place to serve the holy God. The blood of Jesus grants me victory over Satan and all his principalities. The blood of Jesus is the reason for my everlasting rejoicing. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you.